Let me just say how much I've enjoyed the worship music here today, Pastor. It's been a real joy, both services, to worship and to just be a part of a church that exalts Christ through the music and through these excellent, excellent musicians that play and just focus our attention on the risen Savior. Well, what a joy it is to be back at Poplar Springs Baptist Church and to be with my dear friend, your pastor, Dr. Wayne Meadows. I was thinking as I was sitting there, there's 3,600 churches that make up the Georgia Baptist Convention, but there's not 3,600 churches like Poplar Springs. And there's 3,600 pastors all over the state of Georgia, but there's not 3,600 pastors like Pastor Wayne. I know you know that God blessed this church in a very special and unique way when he sent Pastor Wayne Meadows to be your pastor. And I thank God for his friendship, and I thank God for his leadership, and I thank God for what he's doing uh, under, uh, under his leadership in these very dark days that we live. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. We mentioned a moment ago the, the nation, the turmoil, all that's happening in life. And sometimes you may not be this way because you come to Poplar Springs every week and hear Pastor Wayne preach. But for me, sometimes I get distracted. Sometimes I lose sight of the Lord. I lose sight of his plan. I lose sight that he's in control, that he has overcome the world. Thank you, brother, for leading us off uh, in that, with that reminder that Jesus Christ has overcome the world. So I need to be taken back to the scriptures to get a fresh vision of God, that he is high and lifted up and he's on the throne and he's in control and it's going to be okay. And that's what I came here this morning to tell you. Isaiah chapter number 6, beginning in verse number 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people. Can we pray? Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you, Father, for the gospel light that emanates from this place. Thank you for over 175 years, Lord, this has been a place where people could come and hear the truth, hear hope, 
This is a place where people could come and find forgiveness of their sins, strength for their journey, salvation for their souls. And Father, this morning in these dark days, I may be the only one who seems to lose sight of you from time to time, but I pray, Father, that all of us would get a fresh vision of who you are and what you've done. Speak to our hearts this morning is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we would all agree that 2020 has not been probably the best year of our life. It's been a difficult day. We know that our nation has struggled in many ways and continues to struggle. We also know that the text that we've read this morning came at a dark time in Israel's history. I also will remind you that this is not the first time that the United States has faced dark days. We know that, for example, during the Civil War, the war between the states, that was a very dark period in our nation's history. As a matter of fact, in September of 1862, there was a battle fought during the Civil War. It was the Battle of Antietam. And during the Battle of Antietam, one of the generals, General John B. Gordon, was shot five times. Now, I can't imagine being shot five times with a twenty-two, much less a musket. Can you imagine being shot five times with those mini balls that they were, that they were using during that time? Nevertheless, General John B. Gordon survived. After the war, twice he was elected senator, a United States senator for the state of Georgia. And in 1886, John B. Gordon was elected governor of our great state. And it was during the time that John B. Gordon was elected governor that my great-grandfather was born. Now, I'm no relation to John B. Gordon, but my great-grandfather, who was born during the governorship of John B. Gordon, was named, you ready for this? John B. Gordon Merritt. He was named after the governor. Now, like his namesake, my great-grandfather, John B. Gordon Merritt, led an incredibly active life. He was a farmer, an entrepreneur, and did all sorts of neat things with his life. As a matter of fact, a hundred years ago, John B. Gordon Merritt was driving a streetcar through the streets of Atlanta. And uh, Pastor Wayne, I mentioned I still have his hat, and I still have his pocket watch that he kept those uh, streetcars running on time with. An incredible man. But I didn't know him during this period, obviously. When I got to know him uh, as a young boy, he had long since stopped being an active person. As a matter of fact, he was totally, completely, 100% blind. And I would walk across the hayfield to, we called him Pop JB, to Pop JB's house. And he would, since he couldn't see me, he would always put his hand on the top of my head, and he would shake my hand with right hand. He put his left hand on top of my head to see how much I'd grown. Now, you didn't want to stand in front of Pop JB very long because between his feet was a spittoon. And in his jaw, now kids, I'm not condoning this. I'm just reporting the facts. In his jaw was a big chaw of tobacco. And he being blind may or may not hit that spittoon. So you didn't want to stand there too long. But I was regaled with all of the stories of his incredibly active life, but I didn't know that man. 
By the time I came to know him, John B. Gordon Merritt had become totally inactive because he lost his sight. Now that's where the nation of Israel is in Isaiah chapter number 6. There had been a time when Israel was active. There had been a time when they had had Moses and kings like David and Solomon. There was a time when righteousness prevailed and God's word penetrated the land. And Israel was an active nation spiritually. But you see, Israel had lost sight of God and become inactive. I fear that's where we are as a nation today. And the truth is, anytime anyone or any nation gets a vision of God, their life is never the same. I mean, their life is turned upside down when they see God for who he is. For example, Moses. Do you remember what happened when Moses saw God? The Bible said his face glowed. I mean, his life was never the same again. There was Jacob, the trickster, the supplanter. When he saw the angel of the Lord, the Bible said that no longer was he Jacob, but he was changed into Israel, the patriarch of a nation of God. Can you imagine the change that made in his life? We could tell of Gideon and others whose life was never the same again once They got a vision of God. And I'm here to say that the United States of America, yea, us as individuals, our lives, our ministries, our families will never be the same again if we'll just see God for who he truly is. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what happens in Isaiah chapter number 6 in verses 1 through 4. As incredible as it seems, Isaiah saw God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how his life and ministry would never be the same because of what happened in these first four verses? As a matter of fact, he observed two things when he saw God. He saw the power of God as represented by the throne. And he saw the glory of God as it spells it out in the other verses. Now, the Bible contrasts in the year that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord on his throne. So in the juxtaposition of these two kings, there's just one king who had been great. This man by the name of Uzziah. And you can read about Uzziah and learn about all of the military and agricultural advances that he made. He built these war machines, these ramparts that were incredible, and he was able to to help the nation grow the crops that it needed and have all the advancement they needed to, to feed themselves. But the greatness of this man is now over. He is dead. In the year that this great man is dead and in the grave, I saw the Lord and he is on his throne. And brothers and sisters, he is not dead. He is high and lifted up. He is in charge. He's on the throne, which represents the seat of his authority and power. He is God almighty. Do you think there's a problem that our nation is having that God can't solve? Do you think God is uh, 
caught off guard that we're carrying these things around everywhere? Do you think there's a virus or an election or a situation that God is just wringing his hands over? I want to tell you, in the darkness of culture, there is a light that shines brightly. Almighty God is sitting on his throne and all is well in his kingdom. Saw the power of God. He saw the glory of God. The seraphim, uh, the Bible says, are giving this homage, and the post of the door move, and there's this smoke as all of a sudden the cry comes out Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I want to say to you that. And the Lord Jesus Christ was born of a virgin and walked this earth. Yes, there were some that did not see the glory, but there were some of us who did. The Bible said the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full grace and truth. The world may not recognize and appreciate the power and the glory of Almighty God, but those of us who have been redeemed by His blood, we recognize the glory of Almighty God and we revel in His grace. My dear friends, today, I mentioned to the early service, you may have not lost your sight at all. You may have not lost uh, the vision of Almighty God because of the gospel preaching that takes place in this church week after week after week. This sermon may just be for me, but I want to say to you this morning that in the midst of a dark culture, I can still see God on his throne. And the Bible really, it could end there. The chapter could end there and it would be great. In the darkness, in the doom, in the despair, Isaiah is reminded that God's in control and he's full of glory and power and almighty. But it doesn't end there. For in verses 5 through 7, Isaiah not only sees God, but now Isaiah sees himself. Isaiah sees himself. And isn't it interesting that after getting this, imagine the the skies as the song says, being rolled back as a scroll. And imagine us having this physical vision. What would your first reaction be to seeing the power and the glory of Almighty God? Isaiah's first reaction is, woe is me. Because we can't really see ourselves. We think we're pretty good people. We, you know, we put the suit on and uh, thank you for not making me wear a tie. You just... When you sent me that text, you thrilled my soul, and I appreciate that. Um, we think we, you know, we clean up pretty well, as they say. We think we're pretty good folks because we compare ourselves to people who aren't pretty good folks, don't we? I'll speak for myself. Now, compare yourself to God. We only see ourselves as we truly are. When we see God as he truly is, woe is me is his reaction because he sees himself as he truly is. And again, that seems to be the reaction anytime anyone in the Bible sees God for who he is. 
We said a moment ago, Moses saw the hinder parts of God and his face glowed. And he also said, the Bible tells us in Exodus 3, 6, that he hid his face because he recognized his own undoing. Moses hid his face. Job said, I abhor myself. Peter said, depart from me for I am a wicked man, O Lord. And The Apostle Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. We see God in his holiness and his righteousness and his power on his throne. We recognize how sinful we are apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. But nevertheless, Isaiah doesn't stay in that state. For the Bible tells us that he confessed his sin, which is the right thing to do when confronted. Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. Now, lest you miss the the gravity of this confession, I will remind you that this is not what Isaiah had been saying in the past. For in chapter number 5, Isaiah is, is already prophesying, of course. He's, he's still a prophet before he sees this vision of God. He's still a prophet of God. He's still preaching, prophesying. And in Isaiah chapter number 5, he has a very different tone and tenor to his message. As a matter of fact, he has a six-point message in chapter 5. He can't be a Baptist because he has six points, not three. He's a double Baptist, I guess. But in chapter 5, you you actually can see what he's preaching. You can see what his points are. For example, verse number 8, in all of these six things that he preaches against in chapter 5, they're all woes. W-O-E, they're all woes. Verse 8, woe to those who join house to house. That's the first point he preached. The second point he preached from verse 11, chapter 5, woe to those who rise up early to get drunk. Now, that's certainly something to preach against. I mean, he was right to do that. Verse 18, woe to your vanity. The third woe, the third point to his sermon, woe to your vanity. Verse number 20, the fourth woe, the fourth point, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And by the way, that's the problem in our nation today. One One of the reasons that we live in a dark age. They call good evil and evil good. That was point four. Point five, the fifth woe. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes, verse 21. Fifth point, fifth woe. And then the sixth woe, back to drunkenness again. Woe to men mighty at drinking wine for mixing intoxicating drink, verse 22. So prior to this vision, the prophet, the preacher, Isaiah, he's out prophesying, preaching, crying out against sin. He's got a six-point sermon. Now, The first service allowed me to do this. The pastor allowed me to do this. Thank you, pastor. I'm going to do something I would never do in a sermon. I'm going to point. Okay, it's just an illustration. It's rude and crude. I understand that. But to illustrate the sermon that Isaiah is preaching in chapter number 5. This is how he's preaching to Israel. Now, he's not wrong for this, but this is how he's preaching. Ready? Woe to you sinners! God sees your sin. Woe to you over here. God knows what you're doing. You're a bunch of drunks. 
Woe to you vain people over here. Woe to you materialistic people that get up early in the morning to get drunk. God's going to judge you. Woe is you. Woe is you. Woe is you. Woe is you. But you see, God gives him a seventh point. And after Isaiah gets this vision of God, it's not woe is you, woe is you, woe is you. It's woe is me, for I am undone. It's not my brother, it's not my sister, but it's me, oh God, standing in the need of prayer. His ministry changes, his life changes, his perspective changes. As now his own sin is as egregious in his sight as other people's sins had been. So he confessed his sin. And in the Bible, anytime we confess our sin, what happens? It leads to the cleansing of sin. And of course, this beautiful picture of the tongue and the coals, it's a foreshadowing picture of the cross of Jesus Christ. He confessed his sins, so the seraphim took the tongs and touched his mouth with the coals and said, your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. That's a foreshadowing of 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. He is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us, to purge us, to purify us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you glad the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse us from our sin? I'll share with you a, a, a kind of a strange happening that happened to me in, in my last pastorate in Alabama. It was a Wednesday night. We were building a new sanctuary. We weren't far from completing it, but we were still in the old sanctuary, which didn't seat a lot of people, so even Wednesday nights would be standing room only for prayer meeting. And it was one of those Wednesday nights that it was time for a business meeting. And I don't know why we did it. It was just, I guess it was just the, the, the culture, the norm, it was protocol. I would start the business meeting out by calling conference to order and saying, does anyone feel like you owe the church an acknowledgement? Well, in all of my time there, no one had ever said yes. I felt like I owe the church an acknowledgement, so there really was no uh, plan if anyone did that. But on this particular occasion, that happened. A teenage girl raised her hand and she said, yes, I owe the church an acknowledgement. And I recognized her, did not know. I knew what had happened, but I did not know that this was going to happen in conference. I did not know this was going to happen publicly. And so she stood up, didn't say a word. She crawled over. She's in the middle of a bench. She crawled over everyone, came right down to the front of the church, right down the front of the pulpit, looked at me first, and apologized to me, and then looked at the congregation and said, Church, I have asked the Lord Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I have sinned. And what I did, I knew it was wrong. And I did it anyway. And I'm so sorry that I did, and I'm... I'm going to ask you the same thing I asked the Lord Jesus Christ. Please, please forgive me. Very heartfelt, very solemn. And with that, she went back to her seat. And I'm sitting there trying to think of what to say now. And the young man sitting beside her raised his hand and said, Pastor, can I have a word? And I said, yes. Same thing. Crawled over everybody. Walked down the center aisle, looked at me and 
said, Pastor, I want to apologize to you. And uh, I want to apologize to this church. I've also asked the Lord Jesus Christ to please, please forgive me for my willful sin. I knew what I did was wrong. And now I'm so sorry. And church, we're going to need you. We're going to be parents and we know that what we've done is not in accordance to the the will of God and it's going to be hard. We can't do this, number one, if Jesus Christ doesn't forgive us. Number two, if you don't forgive us. Please forgive us for what we've done. With that, he went back to his seat. It was an interesting prayer meeting. I didn't do what I had planned to do that night. It truly turned into a prayer meeting. In the weeks to come, maybe a couple of months, there was um, intensive counseling, Christian counseling for the couple. And fast forward, I don't know, maybe two months. There's going to be a wedding. And so the couple came to me. We had met a number of times, of course. And the couple came to me and said, uh, Pastor, we don't want to bring any more uh, reproach upon this church. Um, but we do want a Christian wedding. We want you to do our wedding, but we just want to do it in, in the home, if that's okay with you. And I said, no, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I said, I, I'm not willing to do that. And they said, well, okay, we, you know, we really wanted you to do it, but we understand. We, we understand. We, we understand you can't do that. And I said, no, I don't think you do understand. I said, we sat in my office and we cried. We, we didn't just have little crocodile. We wept. We wept in my office. And, and I didn't just quote 1 John 1, 9 to you. I opened my Bible up. And do you remember you two reading? I made you read that verse. And, and we read it together. And we claimed that verse together. That if we'll confess our sins, He is faithful. He is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us. From all unrighteousness. And I said, do you remember what I told you that word cleanse means? And through tears she said, yes, you said it means to purify. That's exactly what it means. So the only way that I'm going to do your wedding is if you march down the center aisle of our brand new church. They were the first wedding in the new church building. And you wear the brightest, whitest, gaudiest dress that you can find. And what we're going to say to this community is that where sin abounded, the grace of Almighty God does superabound. And that the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And what God has made clean, let no man call unclean. I want to tell you it was a celebration that day of grace. Of Almighty God. My story and your story may not be that dramatic, but I want to say that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's standard of righteousness and perfection. If you don't believe so, get a vision of God and you'll see yourself as you truly are. Confess your sin. Receive the cleansing of your sin and allow Almighty God to do with you what he did with Isaiah. And this is where we close. Isaiah saw God. Isaiah saw himself. And then Isaiah saw the world in verses 8 through 13. After his sin is purged, 
the Lord says, whom shall I send who will go for us? And the idea is here, Isaiah, who's going to take this message to the world? You've been forgiven. You've been cleansed. You've been set apart. You've been called for a purpose. Now, now who's going to go out there and take this message to the world? Who's going to let the world know that they can experience the same grace that you've experienced? Who am I going to send to tell them that, Isaiah? And the Bible doesn't say this, but it's almost as, as if Isaiah says, Well, Lord, I may not be much, but here I am, and I have experienced your grace. I have experienced your cleansing. I have been purified. I may not be much, but Lord, I'll go and I'll tell them. The Lord says, okay, Isaiah, that's fine. Now, understand this. They're not going to listen to you. They're not going to care for the most part. They're going to be stubborn. And Isaiah says in verse 11, okay, that's fine. So how long do I keep sharing this message? He says, till the cities are laid waste, till there's nothing left. Ladies and gentlemen, that's where we are today as the church. You know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have seen him high and lifted up. You have beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. You've recognized that in ourselves we're nothing on our own. We're we are filthy rags, not by works of righteousness which we have done. But we have received that forgiveness. We have, we have received that cleansing, that purifying uh, blood of the Lamb of God. And we don't just receive that gift and stop and come into the church house and say, isn't it wonderful to have a God who's all-powerful and full of glory. And isn't it wonderful that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins. Isn't that wonderful? Yes, that's wonderful. Now let's go out and tell the world. By the way, they're not going to care. They're not going to listen. But that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to share the good news. Who shall I send and who will go for us? Well, without a vision of God, you'll never truly worship in the awe and the wonder that Isaiah did. And unless you and I see God, we'll never see ourselves as we truly are. Where there is no vision of God, there'll be no vision of a lost and dying world that needs to see him too. You and I are the ones to carry that message to this world. And I pray that we haven't lost our vision and become inactive. With heads bowed and eyes closed as our pastor comes to receive you this morning. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we want to invite you to come and receive him and be cleansed of all of your sins this morning. Or maybe you're a believer and there's some unconfessed sin in your life. We invite you to do the same thing. Can't be saved again, but it is important for those of us who are saved to continually confess our sins before the Lord. Maybe our sin is we haven't been a voice to share with the world that they can have what we have received. We haven't gone and told anyone. I pray that that would change this week. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for a gospel-preaching church.
thank you for a gospel preaching pastor and leader. And I pray that you would empower this church in these dark days to do what only you can do through them. In Christ's name we pray.